As I look at the events uh, that are unfolding before us, I see a prophetic tension unlike I've ever seen before, you guys. And I'm not 100 years old, so I haven't been around forever. But at 65 years old, I've been around a little bit. I've been a Christian for 47 years, and I've seen a lot of things. And there is a prophetic tension that I've never experienced in my life as a believer. And I don't believe there's any other prophecies that need to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. Now, you guys are entitled to your own wrong opinion. <laughs> but this is what I believe as I study Scripture. I believe the rapture is going to be the next major event on the prophetic calendar. Now, some of you may say the rapture, the word rapture is not even in the Bible, and you would be correct. Uh, it's a Latin word, uh, rapio, um, it really comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, and the Greek uses the word harpazo. It's a word that means to be caught up, a catching away. And that's the idea of the rapture of the church. I believe, as I said, it's the last or the next thing on the prophetic calendar. So I want to take a minute. This morning, I only had two weeks to, to get all of this in. And so I know a lot of this is a rush in some ways. We could have taught literally weeks and weeks on, on a lot of these things. But I want to give a, a Reader's Digest version of the way I see things as the rapture becomes the next major event. I believe it will usher in what takes what we see in Ezekiel 38, the prophecy of Gog and Magog coming against Israel. And then why do I believe that? I believe that right now, America is probably the only thing that is holding back Gog and Magog from coming in to Israel. Who is Gog and Magog? As we study Scripture, we see Gog is actually the tribes of the north. And keep in mind, when Ezekiel was prophesying this, these were, this wasn't Russia as we know it today. These are little tribes that are up in the mountains, goat herders. And they're going to come with Iran, possibly China. Now, why do I believe that America is what is holding this event back? I believe partially because we don't see this great superpower, America, in the end times. It's not mentioned. There's no help that comes from America for Israel. But imagine what takes place in the rapture of the church. So imagine literally tens of thousands of military people. American military, just vanishing. You, you guys may have some friends that are in the military right now, that are believers, and you know that if the rapture took place today, they're going home to be with Jesus. They're going to be caught up. Imagine what would take place when millions of Americans vanish off the face of the planet we saw just a little taste and effect during COVID, the effect of what happens when people aren't there to, to boost the economy. What would happen to our economy? It'd fall apart. Now, you might say, wait a minute, that's going to happen all over the world. And that would be true. It is, it's not just an American event. But as the, the great superpower per capita, America has the largest amount of evangelical Christians in the world. And we are the superpower. And if all of these people are gone and America is not there any longer to militarily protect, to economically support Israel, it's a real easy thing for Russia, for Iran, who are already there. Russia already in Syria. Iran 
always talking about wiping America, Israel, off the face of the planet. And I believe that the rapture of the church will not only usher in Gog and Magog coming in and attacking Israel, but it will begin a seven-year period. We're going to talk about that today of tribulation like the world has never seen. The Antichrist is going to be revealed at the beginning of this. We don't know who he is today. And he's going to broker a temporary peace. It's going to last for about three and a half years until the abomination of desolation takes place. And our focus really today in today's study is going to be there more than anywhere else in Daniel 9. But at the, at the end of the seven-year period, Christ is going to return. This time to judge the earth. No longer to save it. And that should be sobering for you and I. It should cause us with all of our hearts to want to go out and to share the gospel, the good news. And of course, that brings in the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And at the end of that, at the end of the millennial reign, we see the end of Satan. The, the end of sin and death, they're vanquished forever, no more. And the question that is begged of each one of us, and we asked it last week, we saw it was an imperative part of our study, is are you ready? Am I ready? This video that played, it's, it's a person who's saying, no more games. I need to get serious about my relationship with God. So we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And then I'm going to go ahead and have you skip ahead to Matthew 24, verses 14 and 15 as we begin this morning. Little children, it is the last time. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have risen up from which we know that it is the last hour. Now skip ahead to Matthew chapter 24 in verses 15 and 16. We remember last week, Jesus was asked the question of his disciples, tell us about the last times. And in verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all of the world as a witness to all nations. And what? And then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Now, this little phrase here in italics, I want you guys to grab hold of. It's there for a reason. Whosoever reads, let him understand. Daniel's going to say something similar. We're going to see in Daniel chapter 9. Pray with me as we begin this morning. Lord, we need you to understand these last times, but more than just the specifics of, of exactly when you're coming. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for your coming. That we would be those virgins with our oil lamps full, waiting for the bridegroom to return. Have your way in this place this morning. Teach us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And guys, I really do hope that God does an, a real work here this morning. This is about being serious before the Lord. And as we did last week, I'm going to, at the end of this service, I'm going to create some space for us to have people up here who, who want to pray with you. They want to be available. People are going through some things and maybe to get serious with the Lord, to open up that opportunity. So keep that in mind as we're going through this. So in this text, John says in 1 John 2.18, it's the last time. But he clarifies what the evidence is or proof of the last times. He says, just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, 
Even now, many antichrists have risen up, from which we know that it is the last hour. John breaks this thought of last times into two categories. The Antichrist as a future person who's going to come, but also in the present, the, the spirit of Antichrist that had already begun to infiltrate the church 2,000 years ago. We talked about that a little bit last week. So then this verse is really framed not only in the prophetic sense, the Antichrist who will come, but in the present, many Antichrists have already risen up. Now, the term Antichrist, John is actually the only one in Scripture who uses that term. In his first epistle, he uses it three times. In his second epistle, he uses it again. We use terms like the beast. We use terms like the false Christ. But John was saying the son of perdition, the man of perdition. But in any case, John was saying this guy was going to be an antichrist. And the word anti, when we think of things, and maybe you think of people, maybe today, as, as you search, looking for, hey, maybe who could it be today? I think those things have always happened, where people are searching and thinking about who it might be. I'm sure the early church in John's time, do you think they thought Nero might be the guy? The one who was butchering Christians, using them for torches in his garden? Yeah, I think they thought this is the guy. But see, when John's writing this, he's past Nero. There's a couple of others who have already been in front now. He's writing in a time now where there's been already a couple of Caesars who have passed by and he goes, okay, this, maybe it wasn't him. More recently, and in light of what's taking place in Israel, how about Hitler? Do you think Christians of that time were thinking Hitler's the guy? Look at the persecution. Look what's taking place in Israel. I was a 60s and 70s child, so in the 70s, I gave my life to the Lord in 1976 at 18 years old. It was Henry Kissinger. You guys remember, anybody remember Kissinger? You're dating yourselves along with me. Kissinger was a Middle East peacemaker. They even had his name, 666, his name added up. Everybody had it all figured out. We don't know who it's going to be. I believe that he's going to be of European descent. And we don't have a whole lot of time to go through a lot of these things. There's reasons that I do. I, but I also believe that he'll be of Jewish descent. And I think Daniel in chapter 11 of Daniel kind of infers that when he says he will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. And I think this verse has been misinterpreted because many people go, then he must be homosexual. And you go, no, it's not the desire for women. It's the desire of women. As a Jew, women were the ones who would bear children and they wanted to be part of that lineage, the messianic hope that maybe the Messiah will come through me. And he's going, hey, this guy who's coming, he won't be part of any of that. And that would only be meaningful to someone who had a Jewish faith. John uses the word anti. In the Greek, it can have two meanings. It can mean either instead of, or it can mean against. And certainly for the Antichrist who is to come, he will be both against and will present himself instead of. John's declaring that there'll be one who's coming, future tense, who will effectively say he is to be worshipped instead of Christ. And we'll talk about this in a bit as we get into Daniel's prophecy. So John's writing about the Antichrist and, of course, the spirit of Antichrist, which had already begun 2,000 years ago. As we shared last week, I believe he's 
reminiscing, as it were. This 90-year-old last of the apostles, he's looking back at the Olivet Discourse where Jesus would tell them in verse 4 of Matthew 24, take heed that no man deceives you for many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will deceive many. Remember we saw last week, we saw Andrew, Peter, James, John on that Mount of Olives overlooking the Kidron Valley, looking up at the Temple Mount. And they're asking the question, when shall these things be? What's going to be the sign of the destruction of the temple? When's that going to happen? And what shall be the sign of your coming? For them, they understood it as his second coming, not his first. His second coming, they already knew he had come. His disciples are going, hey, his first coming already happened. Sorry, you guys missed it. This is about his second coming. And then he says, and of the end of the world. So Jesus begins to answer their questions. And I love this, you guys, because the Bible tells us that all we have to do is ask, to seek, to knock. We know by other verses that he's not going to pinpoint the day because he's already said the day or the hour, no man's going to know. But of the signs, the things that are around us, the events that are taking place, we can know. And as he begins to answer their question, he begins to talk of wars and rumors of wars. And he'll say, but it isn't the end yet. These are just birth pains, as it were. That's what it means when it says in verse 8, the beginning of sorrows. It's these birth pains that are there. You women know what that means. It's close. It's at the door. Of nations rising up against nation. Of famine and pestilence, sickness and disease that will plague the earth. Again, we got a taste of that just a few years ago with COVID. What did that look like? This will be on a worldwide scale like has never been seen before. He talks about persecution and of some stumbling and ultimately having hatred and animosity toward one another. Does this sound familiar in today's day and age? As we look at our universities and the things that are being taught. Hatred, the animosity. He'll tell them of false prophets who will come and deceive. Of a falling away that's coming. And he uses the phrase in verse 10, the love of many will grow cold. This is the last times. People giving up. People saying, I'm done. And Jesus says something as we read in Matthew 24, verse 14, that really should cause all of us to become little Billy Grahams. He says, in this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of salvation and of redemption shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. When, at what point in history was it even possible that the entire world could hear of this message? You guys, it's so wonderful. Bibles going out, being translated into every dialect. We have people in here today, John Jones, who was a missionary. He knows what it's like to be out on the mission field, to be in a foreign country where people speak different languages and it's going out across the entire world. We are living in the last times. And so he says in verse 15, and he begins to talk about the beginning of the end. He says, when you see 
the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. Stand in the holy place. He, he's speaking of the Antichrist here. And then again, in, in italics, whosoever reads, let him understand. He's going, guys, the, the signs are there. Let Read this prophecy in Daniel. Understand. He's talking to his Jewish people of the time. We're going to see that the prophecy there in Daniel was broken up not only in the future today, but in things that they could understand and they could have seen. He says, flee, hide, pray that your travels are not on the Sabbath. Who's that talking to? Sure not talking to today's believer. He's talking to the Jewish people. He says, pray that you're not pregnant or with child, nursing. And then in verse 22, he says, unless those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Guys, in just these little verses here in Matthew, there's way more than we can unpack uh, today. I really had a choice. Where do we go? I had two weeks to, to try and get some focus here. And in fact, last week, that's what we were talking about. Where's your focus? But this week, we're going to talk about a very specific point, the abomination of desolation. And you'll see why this is important to you and I today. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> As we look at these verses, we're going to pick up in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. We need to understand what the abomination of desolation is. And I can tell you what it isn't. There, there are some who have thought it was Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and he was a Greek Hellenistic king. He defiled the temple in the twice daily offering by offering a pig to Zeus. And of course, it began the Maccabean revolt in 167 BC. I know it's not that. It's not that because Jesus, when he's talking about this, talks about it as a future event. So it couldn't be looking back at Antiochus Epiphanes and going, well, it's already taken place. It hasn't. It's something that's going to take place. And we'll see that even in Daniel's uh, prophecy here. In the context of Daniel's prophecy, it's speaking of a future person, the Antichrist, who during the tribulation, we haven't seen that yet. And if you believe as I believe, we are a pre-tribulation believing church, hey, we're going to be gone. And so as your faith has it, believe as you will. If you want mid-trib, hey, halfway through, you're going to go through a lot. We believe it's going to happen at the front end. So in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon the people and as to your holy city. So he's giving this big picture, guys. And we're going to go through a lot here. There's a lot of numbers that are going to be uh, thrown out. And forgive me, guys, my background, I'm an engineer. My mind thinks this way. It's very logical and structured. So I go through and I, I piece all of these things together the best that, that I can. So bear with me through this. We're going to cover a lot of ground quickly. But the big picture is there's a 70-week period. He says, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make atonement for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to steal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. In verse 25, he says, know therefore and understand. And, and he, when, when you hear that, know and therefore, Guys, no one understands. He's telling us that there's the information he's about to give. It's not going to be a mystery. It's obtainable. He's going, no, understand what I'm going to tell you right now. Think about these things. And it's unfortunate 
that back in those days, the priests would read these things. And in, in many ways, Daniel was an off-limit book considered too holy for some to read. And I know what that's like. I grew up in the Catholic Church. It wasn't until around 1967, the Jesus movement beginning and people are getting saved everywhere and Catholics were getting saved. The Catholics said, hey, maybe we ought to let people read their own Bibles. Until then, everything was in Latin. I would go as a young boy into services, couldn't understand a word that they were saying. Here he's going, this isn't, doesn't have to be a mystery. You can understand this, that from the going out of the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem to Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So a total of 69 weeks. And the streets shall be built again and the wall, even in the time of affliction. And after 62 weeks, this is the 69 weeks less the seven weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the ruler who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with flood and ruins and determined until the end shall be war. Verse 27, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the 70th week. So you can see this is broke up into time slots. And in the midst of the week, in the middle or halfway through the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. And now Jesus is pointing us to, these, to this verse. And on the corner of the altar, desolating abomination. Jesus referred to it as the abomination which makes desolate. Even until the end. And that which was decreed shall be poured on the desolator. And as I said, I know this can get crazy, wordy, a bit confusing at times. So I want to bring some context to this. Daniel begins to prophesy about a 70-week period. Now, the Jewish people and their calendars were a base 7 system. We're base 10, decades, centuries, this all coming from the uh, Roman Empire. Theirs was base 7. So everything for them was a base 7 system. Most all scholars agree that the 70 weeks is comprised of 77-year period. So each week representing seven years. So effectively, 70 weeks is 490 years. And again, guys, I would love to go and tell you why all of this. I've read books on this. It's mind-numbing at, at times, but we don't have time for that. Do your own study. Go look at these things. Don't take my word uh, for this, be Bereans. Effectively, 70 weeks is 490 years. But the prophecy and its progression is broken into three distinct time periods. You, you saw that in these verses. The first time period is 69 weeks. And the phrasing of this can get a little bit confusing because this is a seven-week period plus a 62-week period, which he talks about in the next verse. So a total of 49 years plus 434 years, if you're looking at it in years now. Until what? Until Messiah the Prince will come. This is his first coming. So Daniel's back now. He's prophesying into the future, and he's talking about when Jesus was going to come on the scene. The seven weeks of that 69 weeks was known as the time of trouble. And Daniel refers to it even in times of affliction. Now, if you go and study history, this was from 444 BC to 395 BC. It was a 49-year period where Israel is now rebuilding the city, the walls, and all of those things. And they have all of these opposing groups. There's a lot of battles that are being sieged and waged upon 
from the surrounding groups. There's a lot of struggle. So it's the times of affliction, as Daniel would put them. So he's going, when he talks about the next period of time, then after 62 weeks, he's going the seven weeks, because remember he had said 69 weeks. The seven weeks was the 49 years. That After that's gone, and you could now say 62 weeks, 434-year period, the Messiah will be cut off. And I love this, you guys. Nowhere in the Old Testament is it more clear why Jesus came the first time. He says, but not for himself. Who did he come for? It's a powerful reminder that he came for you and I. For our sin. Not for himself. And then he says, and the city, the temple, will be destroyed. We, we talked about this last week, 70 AD, Titus Vespasian coming in and destroying Jerusalem, not leaving one stone standing upon another. Jesus' prophecy being fulfilled to the T. So those are two distinct time periods. Now the third. The third is a week period, seven years. And this really marks the beginning of the end. He says, and midway through this one-week period, three and a half years, the Antichrist will cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. Which, by the way, if something ceases, what does that mean? So it means it had to be going, right? Is the sacrifices going today in Israel? No, they aren't. There's been a lot of archaeology and things that are taking place under the Temple Mount right now. A lot of artifacts coming there. Uh, pieces are being put into place. It's going to happen. And it says that he's going to cause the offering to cease and desolating of abominations are going to take place. This is where the Antichrist offers himself instead of Christ. No longer Antiochus Epiphanes offering a pig on the altar to Zeus. He's going to say, hey, bring an offering to me. Worship me. This portion of Daniel's prophecy is at the heart of what Jesus was telling his disciples in Matthew 24. I want to focus on this 69-week period. Again, that's broke into two pieces, but why? Well, it's a marker of sorts, right? Because 483 years then has a start and it has an end. So if it's a marker, it's from what to what? You see, Daniel's getting really specific here. He's going to point us the from what is the starting point. Not obscure. He says from the going out of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. and the from period of time is going to be how long? 69 weeks or 483 year period. The to what is until the Messiah, the prince comes. Why? For the explicit purpose of being cut off. He wasn't coming as they thought, the conqueror of Rome. That's what they were thinking in Jesus' time. Hey, when he enters, he's going to, he's going to, that's what the zealots were all about. Hey, he, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to take care of business. He's going to bring us out of oppression. How did he come? As a lamb 
to be slain. And that's what Ezekiel was talking, or that's what Daniel was talking about. That he was coming as the lamb to be cut off. This is why Daniel makes the point, know therefore and understand. He wants the reader, in this case, the Jewish reader. See, we look, we're, we're going to look backwards in time to figure it out. What did they have the capability of doing? Looking forward. All they had to do was listen. All they had to do is pay attention. He's talking to the Jewish reader and he says, from the going out of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, boom, time clock starts. Immediately, time clock starts to usher in the Messiah. When did this occur? The book of Nehemiah tells us exactly when. No mystery. Nehemiah in the second chapter, verse one starts and it says, and it happened. What's it? Verse eight tells us what it is. A decree went forth to rebuild. Exactly what Daniel said. Marker put down. When did this occur? In the month Nisan. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king. So Daniel prophesied that 483 years from the decree from to rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah would come. This wasn't obscure. Guys, we hear today, Jesus is coming. Jesus himself said, I come quickly. How soon is quickly? 2,000 years ago, John said he thought it was. That's not, a, that's not a definitive time period. But with this wasn't obscure. This was exact, precise. In the 1800s, a man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson is this devout Christian preacher. He's most notably known for his work in Scotland Yard in the 1800s and that he was popular that the queen knighted him. He became the first person as this devout Christian to really perform an intense study with the idea that not only could they have known, they should have known that the Messiah was coming. His study used a 360-day calendar instead of a 365. It wasn't this solar calendar. There was a 365 days. So for them, this, it was very predictable what they would do. Hence the amount of days that down to the day we could understand it. His premise was if you could understand and determine when Artaxerxes started his reign, which you can, history tells us, if you take the 49 years, seven weeks, known as the time of trouble, you add to it the 62 weeks, you get this 69 weeks, 483 years, you multiply the 483 years times 360 days, and you come up with 173,880 days. Now, using that method, if you take from Artaxerxes when that took place, he said, hey, when you add all of those things, 173,880 days, you come to Palm Sunday, April 6th, 32 AD, and Jesus comes riding in on the fold of a donkey to the day. Now, since then, and that, that date, by the way, held for nearly 200 years. Recently, uh, a guy by the name of Harold Holner, he's a biblical scholar at Dallas at Theological Seminary. He actually passed away in 2009, but he revisited Anderson's calculations. Honer took into consideration that different calendars, Julian calendars, Hebrew calendars, Persian calendars, 
they would all affect when Artaxerxes began his reign. And so he, they looked a little closer and he said, hey, wait a minute. It was actually a year later. So he puts it at Palm Sunday, March 30th, 33 AD. Now, for you and I, that may not mean a whole lot. But guess what? We're looking back. Would they have known when Artaxerxes started his reign? They weren't looking backwards. They were look, looking forward. They would have known the day the decree went forward. They would have known. So they didn't have to look backwards. We're guessing a little bit here. We're looking back. It, it's where we get the idea that, hey, Jesus was around 32, 33 years old. They're looking forward in time. So why is this important in our study of the last times? What did Jesus say when he's telling his disciples about the end times at the very end there in Luke? He says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Look at the signs. In effect, he's saying what Daniel told them. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. It's even at the door. Jesus descended the Mount of Olives, entering Jerusalem. In that text in Matthew 24, March 30th, 33 AD, if you believe Honer. Picture this with me, you guys. He's on a donkey. Our powerful, mighty, triumphant king. Not as they had thought. Because he came to be cut off for you and me. He descends the mount. He's going to cross over the Kidron Valley. He's going to enter in through the east gate, which, by the way, is now shut up and will not be opened again until his second return. He's coming through the same gate. He's going to step on the Mount of Olives. It's going to cleave in two and all of us coming with him. It's going to start the millennial reign. Josephus tells us, and, and tradition has it, that on the first day of the week, and keep in mind when you guys read Josephus, he was a Jewish historian who was there when Jesus came in 33 AD. He wasn't a believer, but he's a Jewish historian. And so he tells of what it was like in that time. He says the crowds would line the roads leading into the East Gate. They would be lined with people. On top of the walls, the priests would be up there. This is the beginning of the week for them. So we call it Palm Sunday because they were throwing their clothes. They were throwing palms in front of him, singing Hosanna in the highest, his believers, those who followed him. But the rest of the gang, that's not what they would be singing. Josephus says that the priests would get on top of the wall and they would begin to sing Psalm 24, the King of Glory psalm. The, the crowd would sing out, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory, he'll come in. And then the priests, with their refrain, from the top of the temple walls, they'd shout out, Who is this king of glory? Jehovah, strong and mighty. Jehovah, mighty. In battle. I believe it's with this in mind. Jesus would hear all of this as he's descending this mountain. And Luke tells us of that excursion down that trail, crossing over the Kidron Valley and into the Eastern Gate. Jesus 
not only tears running down his, va- his face, Luke uses a term that would be the equivalent of convulsing. Have you ever cried so hard you can't catch your breath, your body shakes? If you've lost a loved one, you know what that's like. And Jesus is coming down that trail. He's hearing all of this. He sees all of this theater going on. And he says, if only you had known. Even you, especially this year day. 173,880 days from the time of the decree. The things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. His heart broken that they missed it. Daniel foretold his first coming, but they didn't listen. They were going about their workaday lives, many following religious observance. Lift up your heads, O you gates, they would sing. In John's epistle, as we started out, he's warning these little children. He would call them in Asia Minor. And he's warning you and I 2,000 years later of the spirit of Antichrist that's already infiltrated the church that exists today in our time. He's warning, saying, where's our focus? Where's our heart? Where's our attention? Because lack of focus in their time and often in our time, it comes in the form of religion. Taking our eyes off of Jesus. And just as last week we saw the disciples started going, ooh, the shiny temple boulders. Look how cool this is. Losing sight of what's important. He's coming again. He has you and I, encourages you and I to live not for today as they did, but rather offer our lives living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Are we the ones singing the loudest? Who is this king of glory? All the while we're toying with sin. You guys, that's why I picked that little clip that we showed at the beginning of this. It's about a person who is wanting to make, to get serious about Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. As John was warning, really in a way pleading with the church. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. I wish I had more time to to break all this stuff down. You guys be students of God's word. Go spend time in his word for yourselves. But we've spent a lot of time asking the question, are you ready? Am I ready? They missed it. They could have known. They missed it. Are, are, are we oblivious to his imminent return? Are we going to be found singing songs of his coming, yet unaware that he's at the door? That's what it says in Revelation. Jesus would say, I stand at the door to your heart. Guess who he was talking to? See, we think he's talking to uh, the world. He's not. 
He's talking to the seven churches which were in Asia Minor. He says, I stand at the door to your heart and I knock. And if any man opens the door, I will come in. I'm going to sup with him. I'm going to be personal with him. In the book of Revelation, at the end of all of these prophecies, it's the end of the book, as it were, the closing chapters. And Jesus says, surely, I come quickly. I'm praying our lives have a different refrain than the priests who would quote scriptures from the top of the mountains, who would sing out songs. I'm praying that our life's refrain would be how that verse ends. Amen. Even come quickly, Lord Jesus. Close your eyes. We're going to pray together. I'm going to invite some of the guides up, John. All of you who prayed last week, at least come up. We're going to make it available. Mark, you guys come forward. We're going to have people here. They want to be with you guys. This isn't a show. This isn't some cute little end to a Bible study. Are we serious about the Lord? Are we ready? We can be ready. As we sing this song, I'm going to encourage you guys, come forward. And this song has a lot to do with uh, the message today. I surrender. That's the words. That's the name of the song. I surrender all to you. He's going to surrender. Or we're going to surrender our lives to him. Let's be right